Amen. Amen. Wow, what a great time of worshiping together, lifting the name of our great God up high. Uh, I would just want to welcome you wherever it is that you are doing that, whether wherever you're watching us online. I want to welcome you this weekend. My name is Pastor Chris, one of the pastors here, and uh, just happy Fourth of July weekend. I hope that you uh, found a chance to stop and to uh, celebrate with your friends and family our independence as a nation. And you know, for me, when it comes to the Fourth of July, I try to uh, remind myself of two things every year. Um, one is uh, the, the freedom that we have, um, not only as a nation, but the freedom that we have as believers in Christ. Uh, That's such an amazing freedom that we have that we've already talked about a little bit today in our time of singing together. Uh, But the second thing that it reminds me of is is that we're called as believers uh, to pray for our country, Um, not just on the 4th of July, not just on certain days where everybody does it, but but that regularly it's supposed to be part of our, our rhythm of life for us as believers that we are lifting up our nation our leaders, and our people. And so um, this morning, or today, as we jump into our text, um, before we do that, would you pray with me uh, for our country? God, we thank you so much for today. Lord, thank you that we uh, live in the United States, that we get to celebrate today over 240 years of our independence. And God, we, we, we thank you for it. And Father, we also come to you and we ask for your help. God, we pray for our nation today. Lord, we look around and we see so much pain and hurt and anger and and injustice and frustration and confusion. And and Father, we need your help. God, my prayer is that you, Lord, would, would, would bring healing to our country. That you would bring healing to our land. And Father, not only that, but that you would use your church your bride of Christ, to move into this land and to to bring about your healing and and revival. God, that hearts would be drawn to you through this time. God, that you would draw people to yourself, that they would see your kindness and your your goodness and your your faithfulness and and your forgiveness, and they would come to you and say, hey, I, I love you, I accept you, I follow you. God, would you Would you draw people to yourself? And Father, we pray for our nation's leaders, local and national. God, we lift them to you. Lord, would you lead them? Would you guide them? Would you convict them as as the ones who are leading our nation, God, that they would lead in the way that you desire for them to lead? And Father, help us to be faithful and fervent in prayer for our nation. God, we thank you for it. And it's in your good and gracious name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to welcome you again this morning. And and it's no surprise to any of us uh, that this season that we're in uh, as a nation, as as the world, is just sort of upside down. In fact, it was about a month ago that I saw a meme online that said, congratulations to the astronauts leaving Earth today. Good choice. I mean, we know that everything is just sort of upside down for these last four months. So many unexpected hurdles and challenges that we've 
faced, uh, and for the church specifically, uh, times unlike anything any of us can ever remember, where, where we have not been able to gather together indoors to, to worship together. For the first time ever, that we can remember this is happening. And you know, we love doing that. If you're anything like me, we, we love coming together and worshiping God and hearing his word and, and seeing those faces that we love. This has been a huge disruption for us. But I keep reminding myself that this was no disruption for God. This was not a surprise to him. He, he, he knew this was happening. In fact, we can take peace and comfort in the fact that this is not an accident. That God in his sovereignty, which is a fancy word for his control, his power, that, that God in his sovereignty determined that it would be good for the church, that, that we would close every door of every church in America at the same time. This is the season that we're in right now. So then the question becomes, well, how do we do that? How do we be the church when we aren't gathering together, when we're not getting together in the same building regularly? Well, first to answer that question, to really boil it down and to kind of pull back 30,000 feet, the purpose of the church is to glorify God on earth. That's it. That's the purpose of the church, is to, to glorify God on earth. How do we do that? Two ways. We love God with everything we have, and we love people. Love God and love people, that we glorify him by, by doing these two things. And hear me, these two things can be done with or without a building. And during this time, church was never canceled. It never was. Church has never been canceled. You see, baseball games have been canceled. Uh, the, the NHL, the NBA, canceled. No games. But the church has not been canceled. Why? Because what's fundamental to the church is not a building. What's fundamental to the church are people who are following Jesus. And as long as there are people following Jesus, guess what? The church is alive and well and moving forward. You see, there wasn't even a building for the first 260 years of our faith, and it thrived. And so it's no news to any of us. It's no news that the world is upside down and broken. Fear and anger and division and hatred frustration, they're, they're everywhere, everywhere. And what the world desperately needs right now is for the church. Since we are scattered, we can't be in this building together. We have to move out full of passion, full of the Spirit, to, to scatter out and, and to bring love and healing to the broken world around us, to bring the light of Christ. And man, I don't, I hope we don't miss this because I don't know that God can make it any more obvious to us that in his power, he's, he's saying, look, this is what I told you from the beginning is go. Like there's times to gather, but, but look, go out, like leave this place, go out into the world and what? Make disciples, go into the darkness, into that brokenness and bring the light of Christ with you. Love God, love people. And last week we talked about what that looked like, that we are called to serve, that we are called to follow the example of Christ who didn't come to be served, but who came to serve. And, and we as believers are supposed to look for, me, for, for needs and meet those needs. And this week we're, we're looking at a topic that, that maybe you don't think of when you first think of uh, what it means to be the church. We're looking at the topic of friendship, friendship. 
Now, here's my claim. I'll, I'll just make it real clear up front. Here's my claim, is that Christians, more than anyone else on earth, Christians should be the best kind of friend that anyone can have. Christians, more than anyone else on earth, should be the best kind of friend that anyone can have. You see, on more than one occasion, Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners, a friend of tax collectors, a friend of drunkards and and prostitutes. And this was a name uh, given to to attack him by the religious leaders as an assault on his reputation, which, which, by the way, reputations aren't built in a day. And it just kind of makes me think, um, how much would it have taken for Jesus to to hang out with, with these sort of people groups for his reputation, not only to be noticed by other people who were watching, but, but then also to, to gain that renowned reputation of, hey, Jesus, this guy, he's a friend of sinners. You see, he, he, he hung out with these people a lot, and he embraced this name. He said, yeah, that's me. Yes, you're you're telling the truth. I came for them. You see, he wasn't a sinner. He didn't love sin, but he came to connect genuinely with people who were totally different from him. Different beliefs, different values, different ways of life that he connected, he embraced and loved them. And here's the question. What would it look like for the church, for Christians to gain the reputation as friends of sinners? What would it look like for us to gain the reputation that we are friends of people who are different than us, who don't have the same beliefs than us, who who have different ways of life and and different values than us? What would it look like for us to, to gain that reputation? Paul addresses this very thing in his letter to the Roman church. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12, if you would like to open there to follow along. But to give you a little bit of background of this letter to the Romans, uh, you see a long, long time ago when Claudius was emperor, he, he drove out all of the Jewish uh, people out of Rome. He said, hey, if you're Jewish, you got to go. And so what happened is that the church that was there in Rome that was full of Jewish and Gentile, which is just a fancy word for non-Jewish believers, now uh, all the Jews had to leave. And then uh, about five or ten years later, Emperor Nero came on the scene, and at first he was a great guy, uh, and he said, hey, look, Jews, you can come back. You can come back and and be here and live freely. And so what happened is the Jews migrated back to Rome, those who lived there before, and they went back to their churches and they were shocked. They're like, whoa, 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 what happened to our church? I mean, all of our customs and all of our traditions and all of our Jewish cultural heritage is gone because we haven't been here. And, And so you can imagine the conflict that happened within the church, it was very divided. Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers are now divided. And Paul knew that, that, that you can't love the people who are outside the church if you aren't first working with and getting along with and genuinely loving the people who are inside the church. So Paul's goal was to unify the church. And Now maybe we don't get the, the heaviness of this. You see, Jews and Gentiles, they were never on the same team. There were always very clear boundary lines between Jews and Gentiles. I mean, you you think about the racial tension going on in our country today, and this, I would say, gives us a good idea of the tension that was there between the Jews and Gentiles, but I would say even more so because it was just culturally accepted. 
that they hated each other, they, 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 they didn't get along, and everybody knew it, and they were in some strange way just sort of okay with it. And so Paul's goal is to unify the church. And the best way to unify a church is reminding them of the level playing field, the common ground that is the gospel of Jesus. So in the first 11 chapters of this letter, he he just plainly lays out the gospel message, which by the way, if you haven't ever sat down and read Romans chapters 1 through 11 in one sitting, man, I would encourage you to do it. Uh, It's amazing how it just sort of brings to life the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Read those chapters. And, And in those first chapters, he just lays out the gospel. And then in the rest of the letter from verse, from chapters 12 on, he tells us now in light of that how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to interact with people in the church and people outside of the church, how we conduct ourselves as followers of Jesus. And so in verse 9 of chapter 12 is where we pick up. Paul says this to his believers in Rome. He says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now this is an amazing list where he says, look, this is what Christian friendship should look like. The best kind of friends that anyone can have, this is what that looks like. In other words, Paul says this, love each other and do it genuinely. Love each other genuinely from the heart. Don't, don't, don't just pretend and, and kind of just tolerate one another, but, uh, but actually love each other from the heart. Have an affection that is real. A while ago, uh, Renee, my wife, had bought this piece of wall art for our home, and, and uh, this kind of wooden piece about yay big, and, and uh, she had asked me to hang it up over our fireplace. And, um, and I sort of, you know, waited and procrastinated for a while, like I do on some house projects. And uh, finally, I got around to it, but it was after a little argument that we got into, a little, a little fight where Renee and I uh, were talking about this piece of wall art, and she's like, can you just hang it up already? And I'm like, fine. And so I get a bad attitude, I get my tools, and I, and I go, and I hang this piece of wall art up, and I'm making sure it's level, and then I step back a few feet to make sure that it's centered in the room, and what I see on this piece of wall art it says, let all that you do be done in love. And I thought, oh man, I missed the boat. I just completely missed the boat. But, but this is what Paul says, is look, everything that you do, when you interact with each other, let your love be genuine. And then what he says is he lists off this bullet point of what that love looks like. All the rest of these things that he mentions are what love looks like. So he says, love abhors what is evil. What does abhor mean? It it means to hate violently, to hate what is evil, that there's no room in Christian love in the church for evil, to abhor it, to, to violently fight against it. When you sin, not 
if you sin, but when you sin, don't candy coat it, call it what it is, confess it, don't give it a foothold in your life, purge it out of your life, abhor what is evil. And then conversely, he says, hold tight to what is good. Love looks like holding tight to what is good in your relationships. Cling to it. Uh, Don't let it go. Don't mistake what is evil for good or good for evil, but have a clear understanding of what is going on. Reject what's evil and cling, hold close to you what is good. And then he continues. He says, love everyone as your brother with brotherly affection. This idea that we're a part of the same family with the same God, the same king. Treat each other as you are, brothers and sisters, not enemies. And when you fight as siblings do, fight fairly, work through it, get over it, forgive each other, and move on quickly. And then he makes it a competition. He says, by the way, outdo one another in showing honor. Look for opportunities. Like, how can I honor this person more than they've honored me? How can I honor this person uh, even though they haven't honored me? Like, Like, look at it as a competition. Who can I honor today? Who can I encourage today? Who can I lift up today? And then he goes on and he says, don't be lazy, but be energized in the spirit as you serve the Lord. When things are hopeful, rejoice. When things are hard, be patient. And always, always, always pray. Contribute to each other's needs and show hospitality. Give where there's a need. Support each other when you need to. I mean, this is an an amazing list. I read this list and I go, man, I want to be a part of that community. I want those kind of friendships in my life. Now, there's been seasons in my life where I've had where I've not had those, and maybe for you, that's that's where you're at right now. Where where you read this list and you think, man, that sounds really nice. But, but I don't know what that's like. That's one of the reasons why we promote and, and encourage you so much, so often, every weekend, to, to join a small group, one of our community groups, where you would get with a small group of people and, and begin to build these deep, meaningful, genuine re, uh, relationships with other believers. We're going to give you an opportunity to, to do that later on in the service, how, some instructions on how to do that. But, but man, that's such an important big deal of why we do community groups. You see, the Christian community is distinct, and Christians should be the best kind of friends that anyone can have based on this list. So then Paul shifts gears and he says, now that you know how to interact with each other, I'm going to tell you how to interact with people who aren't in your church, people who are unbelievers, people who are not uh, necessarily like you. He says this in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, things just got real. I mean, that first paragraph, it's like, okay, yeah, we can start to get along with other people in the church, and and yeah, I can serve them, and yeah, I can just not tolerate them, but I can actually love them. But, But now, 
Paul, you're telling us to, to bless those who persecute us? Are, are you sure? You see, to give you some context, the emperor Nero that I told you earlier was started off as a great guy, let the Jews come back to Rome. Well, about 10 years after he started or so, uh, Rome caught on fire. And, uh, and nobody knew who it was. Many fingers were pointing at Nero himself. Um, so he, in turn, blamed the Christians. And as a result, what followed was this heavy persecution that came upon them. And I'm not talking about any sort of persecution that we might face here in the States. I'm talking about taking Christians and covering them with wild animal skins and then unleashing packs of dogs on them to tear them apart. Crucifying Christians along the city streets putting them on stakes and lighting them on fire at night to light those same streets. You see, the knee-jerk reaction to persecution is not one of blessing, which, by the way, any sort of persecution we face here just pales in comparison. I know around the world, brothers and sisters of ours in Christ are, are being killed today for their faith. Now, but here in the States, we don't face that. I mean, we may get some, some pushback on social media or, or defriended, or we may get mistreated by someone, but, but, but the persecution we face is minimal, pales in comparison. And our reaction to any sort of persecution is, oh yeah, you want to you wanna fight me? Like, come on, bring it on. Come at me, and, and you're going to see what, what I got right back at you. You want to persecute me? Well, well, I'll just bring it right back to you. But Paul says, no, stop. Bless them. Which this word means to invoke divine favor. To give kind actions toward them. When someone spits in your face, you invoke God's favor on them. That's what he's saying. When someone mistreats you, calls you a name, badmouths you on social media... We invoke divine favor. We don't just fire back with name calling that I see a lot of us doing on social media, side taking, all this, all this stuff that, that's no different than outside of the church. Church, we're supposed to be distinct. We're supposed to be different. When we're persecuted, we bless them. We invoke God's favor on them. But he doesn't stop there. He says, empathize with them. When your enemy is weeping, guess what? Weep with them. When they're rejoicing, rejoice with them. Live in harmony. Pay close attention to the lowly and be humble. Don't repay any evil for evil, but show honor and live peaceably. Now let me just stop here for a second, and I know this is hard, but, but I'm going to make it a little bit harder for us because I want, I want to get personal with you. I want you to bring to mind that face, the, the face of the person that, that you are having a hard time loving, the, the face of someone that, that maybe you would call your enemy. Bring them to mind, picture them. Maybe someone at work, a neighbor, a, even a family member. Imagine, what would, it, what would it look like for you to bless them? What would it look like for you on their behalf to go to God and say, God, would you bring favor and blessing to this person's life? And further, I want us to dream big for a second. What would the world be like 
if this is how the church regularly interacted with people who were outside the church. You see, right now, with the tension around everything so high, so much division and hatred, and, and everything is offensive to everybody, and, and where you disagree, you just defriend them, and, and everything is just like this powder keg ready to, to explode, and, and we label those who are, uh, that we disagree with or who maybe be in a different group than we are. And on top of that, even with the technology that we have in today's day and age, relationally, we are the most disconnected in humanity that we've ever been before. Isolation, depression, loneliness. You see, most adults can't name more than a, just a couple real friends. And most men, by the time they are 40 years old, cannot name one close friend. But what if? What if the church, scattered as we are, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, Wherever, wherever you are, what if we lived like this? What if we genuinely loved those that are different than us? Blessed those that we disagree with. Genuinely love our, our neighbors. That, that person that you just pictured in your mind earlier as your enemy. What, what would it look like to, to bless them and, and even get to a place to where they call you their friend? One of the most meaningful pictures of this that I've seen is with our partners in Lebanon, Pastor Hikmat Kashu, the, the, the pastor at Resurrection Church in Beirut. You see, there's always been this deep-running hatred between uh, Lebanon and Syria uh, for, for, for centuries specifically the 30 years recently where Syria was, was occupying uh, Lebanon. And in fact, so many conflicts back and forth Hikmat, Pastor Hikmat's father, was actually killed by Syrians. Almost every single person in Lebanon has a friend or a family member that they know who's been killed by Syrians. So then you, you fast forward, and, and Hikmat is the, the pastor of this church in Beirut, and, uh, and Syria is in crisis and so millions of Syrians are fleeing to neighboring countries, many of them going to Lebanon. And so Hikmat and his church leadership, they have this uh, decision to make. What are we going to do? And they decided we have to do what Jesus told us to do. Like we have to serve them and we have to be friendly to them. We have to genuinely love them and, and care for them. And, and after a few years, their church began to embrace it, like, yeah, we can do this, we can do this. We know that there are enemies. We know there's a lot of hurt there, but we can do this. In fact, their church grew from 90 people to over 1,300 people, many of them being refugees. But that's not the amazing part of this. There was one watershed moment where Hikmat called one of the Syrian refugees up on stage during weekend worship service to wash his feet. And as he did, as he went to, to go wash his feet, uh, he felt his own anger and resentment build up within his heart in that moment. And he said, as I got close to his feet, I saw the feet that stepped on our childhood and destroyed Lebanon. I remembered our war and all that happened to us. But then as he stooped down and he washed the feet of his Syrian friend, something happened. 
He says this, I felt that God bowed down and started to clean my wounds. I learned a great lesson. When you bow down to wash the feet of your enemy, God bows down to heal your wounds. And I discovered that the most powerful tool in evangelism is forgiveness. You see, Christians, more than anyone else on earth, should be the best kind of friend that anyone can have. Why? Because we have a Savior that modeled it for us. We have a Savior, our God, our King, the creator of the universe, the friend of sinners. And here we have a unique opportunity to step into the messiness of our world and to wash some feet. And as we do, God brings about healing in our own hearts. You see, we have an opportunity to genuinely love those around us, to weep with them, to rejoice with them, to live in harmony and peace with them, to genuinely love them. And this sort of idea does not come about by politics or policies or anything else. This falls on us, church, followers of Jesus. Are you and I going to step out and take a risk to get close to someone who is not like us for the sake of building a friendship that maybe they'll see a glimpse of what Jesus is like. And my hope is this, is that the people of Crossroads, that we would, would do this so much that our reputation from others would be, yeah, I know Crossroads Church, those are the people who are friends of, of people who aren't like them. Those are the people who are friendly to people who disagree with them. Those are the people who are friends with sinners. And it's through that demonstration that people get a glimpse of what Jesus is like. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So if you've experienced the real Christ... You've experienced what it's like to have a friend lay down his life for you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't, he didn't owe you. You didn't ask for it, yet his love is so great that he saw you far away from him, and he laid down his own life for you, and he calls you friend. For those of you who are not yet believers, you're not a follower of Jesus let me assure you that this is not just some made-up fairy tale, that this is an experience of love so deep that, that it's what your heart has been aching for for so long, that it's an acceptance that you've never experienced before, a friend unlike any other friend you've had before. And Jesus simply just says, come, come to me, come follow me. Let me give you the, the, uh, what you are longing for. Let me, let me meet that need of love and acceptance and friendship that you have. If that's you today, I just want to invite you to, to text the name Jesus to the number on your screen. And there someone will, will get back in touch with you and, and follow up with you and ask, answer any questions you may have uh, and, and pray with you as you take these steps in following Jesus. Would you all pray with me together? God, we thank you today for your great goodness to us. Father, we 
acknowledge that we do not deserve the grace that you have poured out on us. God, when we stop and think about the debt that you have paid on our behalf, it is, it's mind-numbing. And Father, we thank you that it was while we were your enemies that you laid down your life for us so that we could be friends of God. So God, would you, would you empower us? Would you convict us? Would you lead us in what it means to be friends with those around us? That we would show the friendship of Christ to our neighbors, to our coworkers, and even to our enemies. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you, and it's in your great and powerful name we pray. Amen.